You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. For 11 days in April 2022, this was the top news story in the country. Vicki White, a corrections officer, leaves a prison facility with a deadly six foot nine inmate named Casey White. The two disappear and a nationwide manhunt is launched. Join me today and the fugitive hunters who track them down. day fugitive hunt for Casey and Vicki White under a microscope. We're going to get into the nitty gritty and take you through it step by step. People were absolutely glued to this story in April 2022. Did Vicki White, a 16-year respected corrections officer, fall in love with a killer? Was she somehow being held hostage or were these two going to become the next Bonnie and Clyde? Today you'll find out. Now you're going to hear this as it happened. Tips are flying in, clues are being revealed in no particular order, intelligence gathered from interviews contradicts one another. It's chaotic, it's confusing, and it's dangerous. But my guest today figured it all out. I'm Chris Gotzik. This is Chasing Evil. I'm here in Birmingham, Alabama, at the headquarters of the Gulf Coast Regional Fugitive Task Force of the U.S. Marshals. And while there were many agencies and many police departments across several states involved in the search, the Marshals led the effort. Joining me today are those at the forefront of that manhunt. Ross, the deputy commander of the Gulf Coast Regional Fugitive Task Force. Scotty, the lead investigator and a senior inspector. Uh, from Washington, the chief of the Behavioral Analysis Unit. And John, who works in a very specialized and small area in the Marshal Service. And the only thing I can tell you about John is when I was discussing him with his boss, she said, he's crazy smart. There's big boots to fill. I'll take that from the boss. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Hello. Hey, how's it there going? We, there oh, we glad go. to be here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's April 29th at 1700. That's 5 p.m. for you and me. And that's where we're going to kick it off. So at 5 p.m., we get a call from Limestone County Sheriff's Office informing us of an escape that occurred in Lauderdale County. Lauderdale County and Limestone County are in the northernmost part of Alabama that's right up against the Tennessee state line. The portion of the manhunt that occurred in Alabama took place in these two counties. So this is where we'll be concentrating our focus in the state of Alabama? Yeah, in Lauderdale and Limestone County. Okay. Casey White had escaped out of Lauderdale County Jail that day. He was transported for a mental health evaluation by Vicki White. Mm -hmm. Both of them were missing, and the patrol car was missing at that moment. Mm -hmm. All right, Casey is a guy who sounds like he has a really dark past. What is his background? So the first act of violence that we see back in 2008 in Limestone County, Casey White's girlfriend, there is a suspicious suicide that occurs at that house, at Casey White's house. And suspicious means? 
they currently have an open case. I don't feel comfortable talking about it. I think they've reopened the investigation in Limestone County. Okay. So 2008, suicide at his place. It's suspicious. Yes, sir. Okay. And then there's an incident in 2016, which lands him in jail. Yes. So in 2016, he attempts to kill his girlfriend and her sister. He shoots at both of them. Fortunately, misses both of them. They get they get out of the area. He kills their dog. He gets into a vehicle, goes into Tennessee. He carjacks a lady up there, gets her car, drives back into Alabama. Mm. Limestone County starts chasing him. He wrecks out. He gets out of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. He puts two different weapons up to his head. He holds both guns up to his head, threatening to kill himself. Right. They were able to safely take him into custody where he goes to Limestone County Jail in 2016. And he's in Limestone County from 2016 to when he's convicted for attempted murder, kidnap, among other things, in 2019. Correct. And just so everybody understands, from 2016 to 2019, one of the things we found amazing, he was actually a trustee in the Limestone County Jail. Obviously, I don't know how the system works, but how is a guy who is in for attempted murder and kidnapping achieve trustee status? Who says, you know what? He's fairly new, but I have a good feeling about him. He's a he's a guy we should uh, give a little less supervision to. Yeah, he's allowed to move around the jail more freely, not as much supervision. He can do things like assist the sheriff's office with washing vehicles or whatever chores that they may need to have him. I can't answer the question why he was a trustee. So that sounds as odd to you as it does to me. Certainly. Okay. So we started contacting Lauderdale County uh, Sheriff's Office asking if they needed assistance, which they said they did. Mm -hmm. So we deployed our team over towards Lauderdale County at that moment. Yeah, and about this time, Scotty notified me of what was happening, Um, me being in Birmingham about an hour, 45, two hours away. Right. He explained the situation, and, and like Scotty, I thought it was extremely weird and, and kind of out of the ordinary that we had a, a single female correctional officer transporting somebody at of, of Casey's stature uh, criminally. Normally, you're looking at least two people? At least two, and that's, that's, a, that's a policy that's this followed pretty much nationwide. Uh-huh. And naturally, on a Friday, uh, Friday afternoon, we were all you know not busy with doing any other family stuff, and right. so... Um, <laughs> But but no, we, we got everybody dropped what they were doing and, and headed up there. And obviously, the the main concern and not having all the information at that time was that we possibly had a, a missing and endangered correctional officer, um, you know, who was working at the time. So we just didn't know what we had. Uh-huh. Um, so there was a sense of urgency to kind of figure out what happened with the correctional officer being being Vicky. And that's when you put out a blue alert. When we kind of verified that she had taken him, mm-hmm. you know, we thought it was important to get this information out to the public, get it out to other law enforcement agencies to, to be on the lookout for her, um, anything that had to do with her patrol car, um, any of that stuff. And so, yeah, so there was a blue alert issued, um, which is the law enforcement version of an Amber alert. A real rarity. Doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. No, it sure doesn't. So on the drive over, we start receiving more information from the investigators. They found the patrol car at the Academy Sports and Outdoor Store, which is about a 10-minute drive east of where the jail is located in Florence, Alabama. So it was still in Florence? Yeah, it was They didn't still, go that far? Correct. Okay. They're searching the car. They discovered that a handcuff key is found in the back seat along with Casey's sandals. Car's emptied, no signs of struggle, which even 
made us a little more suspicious that mm-hmm. Vicki White was possibly involved. Mm-hmm. We're on the phone with different agencies asking for assistance. We actually got ICE to place travel alerts on both Casey and Vicki White at that moment. and Just in case... They are doing. They they're are getting out of cahoot. town. They're right. they're going out of country. What what? We don't know what's going on yet. Right. We're still trying to figure those things out. Well, and it right. was kind of it was kind of weird for us because it was one of those things. It was so odd. The situation was so odd that we were kind of playing both sides of the fence. Right. She she is in danger, but she also could be an accomplice. Uh-huh. So we were trying to cover all of our bases, especially very early on, to make right. sure that nothing kind of slipped through the cracks on our end. And this is all happening on day one. So day one is <clears throat> frenetic. This, this is on the hours. drive over. <laughs> this and is the drive. So, so from Huntsville, um, it's which probably the an hour, covers. 30 minutes, yeah. hour, 15 minutes for most of us to get there. Uh-huh. I would say as fast, and, and I, I reached out to, to Scotty because I had saw it on the news. So as fast as the information is flowing through our teams, it had also been accumulating in the media. So once we get over there, uh, they, they give us a briefing on what they've discovered at this point. And then we were really just looking at everything the way it was presented. No sign of struggle on the patrol car, handcuff key in the back. We're looking at the video of them walking out of the jail. Mm-hmm. That's where we first noticed she's got that waddle. Um, we, we call it a waddle, and it ended up in the media um, right. with the way she walks. And then we noticed him walking, his, his walking gait, he had a right foot always turned out. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that that ever made it to the media. But we're just kind of looking over everything. She looked nervous, but the way she was going out of that jail, we're like, she's most likely involved. Another thing of interest to us, looking at that video, she walks in that jail with a gun. So that piqued our interest as well. That's not normal. And she works in the jail. She was assistant director over operations. So she knows better than to go in that jail with a gun. And she had on that big jacket i don't know it was kind of mm-hmm. warm and everything it it just all didn't mm-hmm. add up mm-hmm. so to speak mm-hmm. so at that point when when we received the briefing there was us and several other agencies there and i said okay what role do you want us to play we can do whatever you need if you want us to do the manhunt portion we'll do that and they, they said yeah we want you guys to take lead on the fugitive side i mean that's your bread and butter yes sir yeah yeah And so at that point, we requested a warrant on both of them. Now, the hard part during this was the sheriff. He's a great man. Loved the sheriff to death. It was hard because he had such a close relationship with Vicky. He he took it really hard. I mean, she had worked at the facility for 16 years. That's a long time. He didn't want to believe it. Sure. I I don't blame him. It changed, uh, you know, over the weekend. Right. And then I noticed that one of the PDs found her life insurance policy and will and testament sitting out on the dresser at her home. Yes. So um, Lauderdale County was out there interviewing the family Mm -hmm. uh, of Vicky and Casey and just for the record, they had no clue what was going on. When they looked in, in their house, there were several key things found. Uh, one, she left her all this stuff kind of out in the open to be discovered. One of those things was her purse, her wallet, all of her identification, her driver's license, mm-hmm. all of her credit cards, all of her bank cards, checking account uh, register her will and uh, the life insurance policy was left out for all of us to find. Kind of like she didn't try to hide it. She put it out wanting it to be found is, a, is what we kind of got the feeling. Yeah. What kind of message do you think that was sending? Well, to us, the most concerning thing was the will and the life insurance policy. Uh, family did not even know she had a will is our understanding. Um, so that 
told us she's prepared to die. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we were able to look at that was kind of a little more, I guess, evidence-based that we provided that could kind of show uh, maybe it was less of a blue alert was Vicky's bank accounts. So we, we took a look at uh, her bank accounts and we we're trying while the blue alert was going on. We wanted to see if possibly Casey had been utilizing any of her uh, financial uh, stuff. So after we looked at some of the information from the bank, we got some info that all her accounts had been drained and not necessarily drained that day, which would have been an indicative of, of potentially Casey pulling all the money out, right. trying to pull resources. But over a period of month, uh, several months, those accounts had been structured down, dwindled down. She paid off every, all of her bills. Like there was not anything outstanding. Her in, internet bill, her uh, credit card bills, whatever, everything was sold closed her, out. Sold her house, which uh, is sold her vehicle. Vicky had two personal vehicles: a white Ford Escape that she sold, and a Pontiac G6 that she kept. She sold her house at auction. And so it wasn't like put on the market. It was almost as like she was just, hey, let me just get what I can get out of this house and, and, right. and get the cash and be done with it. Right. So, so at the very least, it kind of set up a situation that indicated I'm not coming back. What it framed our mindset to, we're dealing with somebody that has some significant planning to go into this. And it's not necessarily somebody that's hastily moving about that they're probably moving with a purpose and, and have, you know, designated areas they're going to try to go to or, right. or or worked on evading law enforcement presence. So, you know, I think that was something that we took very seriously and, like, how we're going to conduct our investigation going forward from there, too. Right. And that first day, that kind of looking at everything, that's the one thing that we kind of kept coming back to was she was going to be in imminent danger because now that he's escaped, we thought she would have been more of a hindrance and kind of get in the way for his run so no one thought this was the forbidden love story yet not not yet not till we started gathering all this this kind of piece by piece the stuff left at the house the financial records yeah you know in a way it was you know maybe she's in danger because she's part of this maybe elaborate kidnapping type scheme and then it turned into well she may have been manipulated and now her usefulness is going to uh-huh. Expire, expire at some point so we need to get our hands on her yeah. and find her yeah. and this is the first night we hear of him being diagnosed with a mental illness through the jail system there at lauderdale county we hadn't gotten all the records in or anything of that nature so that upped our level that he may have some type of episode and we all mm-hmm. believed i think that first night we were going to find her dead somewhere pretty soon mm-hmm. because we didn't think there was no need he had a Vicky any longer. So doc, why would someone with a mental illness be of concern? If somebody has a serious mental illness, there are several reasons why that would be of concern. You think about it from an officer safety perspective, for example, somebody's experiencing a manic episode, what you'll see is somebody who has uh, you know, racing thoughts, they they can't think clearly, uh, pressured speech, sort of reckless behavior, poor decision making. And so if somebody's in a full-blown manic episode, um, a, a cop's ability to negotiate with that person at the time of arrest or communicate clearly mm-hmm. with them is going to be greatly limited uh, mm-hmm. because that person is going to be um, just really difficult to communicate with. So there would be no negotiating, um, and it would also result in impulsivity. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so in addition to the... Things, those things we discovered, uh, Lauderdale County discovered at the house was out back. There was a burn pile. I believe that the parents stated that earlier in that week she had gone out there after she had sold her house. She had moved in with her parents, 
We believe it was letters uh, between herself and Casey uh, looking mm. back at it. And that's the first kind of hint that, hey, there may be some type of relationship between the uh -huh, two. Uh -huh. So then we start getting concerned with um, other family members out of the area. Casey had a, he has a daughter and a son. Mm -hmm. Limestone County is already dealing with the daughter and the uh, his mother, but his son actually lives up in Tennessee. So we contacted the locals up there and asked them to go out, and they went out there and um, interviewed them and talked to the, the caretakers of Casey's son, mm -hmm. and they actually actually set up watch over the residents because there was a thought um, with the mental illness that he was going to try to come see his kids or something for the last time, right. something of that nature. Uh -huh. So that all occurred on that first night. That's the first day. And all this has happened. And a lot <laughs> of this is being gathered. We're, yeah. we're, a lot of this is being gathered while we're driving. Right. You know, and so I, trying to coordinate multiple things and, and you know, drive. Yeah, it's, it's tough. My phone during this time, it, it was hard to work the case because we were on the phone so much. Right. Okay. So some things we learned of interest. There was no paperwork requiring Casey White to go out for a mental evaluation, any type of court proceeding. None of that paperwork was found. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the other things that was like, hey, something's not right here. Why is she taking this guy out of jail? She has no business taken out of jail. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Around 6.30 that morning, she checks out of her motel room. So I just want to mention that the night before the escape, Vicky stayed at a Quality Inn, which was right next to the Academy Sports. She stopped by a Jack's fast food restaurant to right. get breakfast that morning. She goes into to work, everybody made note of how nervous and how off she seemed. She mm -hmm. claimed she was sick. She'd been um, making these statements about being sick all week. One of the people that was interviewed there at the jail stated that Vicky had told him that she was planning on retiring. So as people are coming in to work, they're all learning that she's retiring that day. It's going to be Vicky White's last day at the jail. One of the other employees leaves and goes, purchases flowers and a, a cake for Vicky. Vicky's sitting there at her desk just kind of staring at this uh, breakfast she had bought. She's not eating it. She just seems really nervous, said she was really off. And then she starts looking for something and just starts screaming at other employees that she works with there. They describe this as being very not Vicky. That's not the way she operates. She's normally the cool, calm one mm -hmm. collected. Mm -hmm. Vicky comes in for a retirement party, and everybody described her as not really wanting to be there, 
it didn't make sense, all those type of right. things. She was right. really nervous, claiming she was sick. She cuts the cake, doesn't eat any of it. She tells one of the other employees after she makes the drop-off that wasn't on the schedule, she was going to go see the doctor mm-hmm. uh, because she wasn't feeling well. Around 9.20 that morning, they she asked correction officers to hook up Casey White so she can uh, take him to this uh, court hearing slash mental health evaluation when around 9.30, she pulls the patrol vehicle in the Sally Port. When she gets out, walks around, opens the back door, it appears that she throws something back there. We couldn't tell what it is. We believe it was the handcuff key. Uh-huh. Um, she walks, goes into the, goes in the Sally Port. She enters the jail area with the firearm on her side and the jacket we spoke about earlier, mm-hmm. which we all was like, that don't make sense. And then you see them exit out right around 9.30. Around 9.50, uh, video surveillance at a uh, local store gas station there picks her patrol car. The reason that was key was that was heading in the direction of where Academy Sports, where she actually parked the patrol vehicle. So right. everybody's aware, the people not from Florence, this particular parking lot's where you park cars if you want to sell them. Mm-hmm. It's... We call them lemon lots. Yeah, and a lot of this information is coming in simultaneous. Like, we're learning of the stuff that happened between 9 and the time that we arrived. And so we're trying to make heads and tails. Okay, what's important now? Where was she? You know, can we verify this timeline? What else can we look at? Because we were getting information, you know, that they were up in the the Columbia, Tennessee area. Right. That's important to us, but it's also important for us to know, well, how did they get there? What If we go up there, what are we looking for? we get our resources in Tennessee to, that are going to assist us, what do we tell them to look for? Right. So we have to establish this long pattern of information that's coming in very rapidly. Some of it's disjointed and right. hey, this happened at 11, well, this happened at 9.30. And so we're building all that to try to make some semblance of, hey, what do we know? Like right. what, what can we actively <clears throat> work, right. on, work right. with to, to make some logical investigative you know, yeah, I mean, we, we literally could have done a whole podcast on day one. Yeah. This is so much information. So there's only 24 hours in a day. So this, I think, brings us to the conclusion of day one. This is a long day, but you've learned a lot on this one day. You've you've almost done a 180 from there's a law enforcement in trouble to, nope, she's an accomplice. She's an accomplice. She's most likely involved. Um, however, even though regardless of her involvement, we at that beginning of the first day, we didn't think it was going to end well right. for her. Um, especially the kind of money we're seeing uh, through what we had from the bank at that moment. Uh, we were, did did you have the total? We didn't get the totals till the next Not, day, I yeah, don't believe. Yeah, the day but one. she had a lot of money. Yeah, right. day one we didn't have the totals. We just had uh, information that the accounts were, were okay. being reduced. And there was a possibility that this has already gone across state lines. So we know that this, you know, possibility this is not a local right. you know, fugitive investigation anymore. And that our resources are going to start getting spread then mm-hmm, pretty quick. Mm-hmm. All right. We're on to day two, April 30th, 2022, day two. We determined that potentially some of the financial information indicated that potentially Vicky could have been involved. We authored some court orders to get the banking information. We also found out at some point prior to the escape uh, that Vicky had a check cashed for 17500 That ended up being for the sale of her vehicle. And just kind of one of the things that stood out about this is Vicky wanted 
very specific denominations of money back. What do you think the significance of that is? Well, I, I think later on we, we found some further information that kind of uh, Vicky was a very particular organized person. Mm-hmm. And I think that even showed in that financial transaction that she wanted to have very detailed, controlled uh, activity with them okay. for that transaction. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we also got back the the solid hard records from the financial institution. Vicky potentially was planning this out for a, a long period of time. She had in the ballpark of, of what we thought over $60,000 as cash in hand at this point mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. we could kind of run down and add up total. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we were armed with that information, uh, the means in which you know she or he or both, one, had to travel. So we knew that we had to expand our net, if you will, further than Alabama, Tennessee, and some of the surrounding states. We had generated our wanted posters and actually got those published on these electronic billboards covering 10 right. to 12 states. Right. And this was this is on day two. I mean, you're going to think that a guy who's 6'9", 330 can't hide. Well, use that information. It was I'm a little bit like the odd couple. Right. Her being so short, her distinct gait, you know, the waddle that we called it, uh-huh. uh, and his height. We, we thought that may work to our advantage. Right. And, and on these billboards, we exploited that information to hopefully mm-hmm. generate you know, viable tips that we could follow up on. Right. We had learned uh, from the previous night interview that Vicky may possibly have a storage unit in the Rogersville, Alabama area. We contacted Alabama Department of Corrections uh, first thing that morning and asked them to send us whatever they could, whatever information they had on Casey White. We wanted to know his gang ties, affiliations, um, his close associates in prisons, and as well as start getting his jail phone calls. And we asked a huge favor of them, which they complied. We asked them to listen to the jail calls. We listened to the jail calls there in Lauderdale County. Lauderdale County, one of the ladies there assists us with, and we mm-hmm. found no evidence of any planned escape, anything of that nature. And we wanted DOC to do the same for us from when he came in uh, to their facility. So this day, we're still working back on the timeline. We're getting all of our facts together. Um, we're getting that. We've got people running eight different directions. Right. Some of our investigators went around to the different storage areas in Rogersville, Alabama, and interviewed the owner of one of them who happened to personally know Vicki White. He said, yeah, she had recently obtained a storage unit. He starts going through his paperwork, and he's looking – for where she actually secured it. He couldn't find anything under that name. Mm -hmm. So he's going through it, and finally he finds it. He said, this has got to be it. And it was not Vicki White's name. She put down an alias. She had recently got this storage unit. So this is the first time we see her being deceitful, trying to cover her tracks, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And she used the name April Davis, which so everybody knows. I know everybody had the confusion of Vicki White, Casey White. Are they related Vicki White's maiden name was Davis. She married a White way back. Uh-huh. I don't even know the dates. But I know that was a big question everybody had. Are they right. related? No, they weren't related. That was her married name. Mm-hmm. So she used this. And of key significance on that was we discovered a new phone number for Vicki White. And we we termed this number her bad girl phone. So, and how did you discover the new phone number? It was on the rental contract under the name April Davis. Uh-huh. And so we then start the process of obtaining a search warrant for the storage unit. 
go in the storage unit and look. Nothing of evidentiary value was found, but something the investigators noticed uh, going back to the financial records was how organized she was. Everything was very, it was labeled, it was neatly put in there. There was, uh, she's a very organized type of individual. Mm -hmm. So, which led us more to, we might be in trouble if she's in charge of the planning. She's going to be very meticulous and cover her tracks, so to speak. Uh I mean, this was, uh, you know, the first nugget we kind of got on her of that alternate lifestyle, the bad girl side of Vicky. Okay. We reached out to the ATF um, knowing that we're starting to see signs of meticulous planning. We had ATF do a search uh, for any firearms transactions uh, that may have occurred within the last two years. They were able to return information that, that Vicky had, had gone out of state and purchased a uh, AR-15 rifle that was at this point unaccounted for. Mm-hmm. So in your eyes, does this just amp up the danger level? Well, we're starting to really understand you know, who who Casey is through you know his previous criminal history. Um, we're starting to understand you know possible gang ties, all the stuff that he had been involved with in DOC. Um, who he is, um, we're starting to get a better picture of firearms that are involved. You know, Vicky's uh, history as a law enforcement officer, what she may be trained in, some countermeasures she may be able to to use on us because mm-hmm. being in law enforcement, you know, she would probably know some of the stuff that we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So at this point, and it's still just day two, we're really understanding that this is this could be a, a, a long and drawn out and complex investigation given all the stuff that we learned in, in a short amount of time. Right, right. Every day that this goes on, you know, I'm sure everybody here at this table has the same fear that uh, somebody from the public's going to be robbed, they're going to do some big crime spree, uh, some uh, local law enforcement officer not knowing what he's going to come across. Yeah, and even and even knowing what we know now, there's still there's still something in the, in the back of all of our minds that, that Vicky's still in trouble. You know, that she is being used, you know, in a nefarious way, that she was manipulated, you know, groomed in a way over the last couple of years, and that she she could be in trouble. We operated with that mindset, you know. You know, we're discovering things, but, you know, assisting somebody to escape, you can go in and do a little bit of time and get out. She's not looking at a whole lot of time at this moment. Right. Um, She's going to get time, right? It's a serious felony offense. But based on her background, she might get a little more than the average citizen, but she's not. this is not a life thing for her. There's still a way out. Right. And we're hoping, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of talking to the sheriff and to our um, media people at, at our headquarters, and we're not wanting to put it out yet that she is wanted for this. If she's seeing this news thing, there there is a way out for her. Mm-hmm. If she would, you know, leave him, get separated, because of the mental health aspect of Casey, we're really concerned um, for her safety still at this moment. I, I, we were concerned the whole time, but at this moment, we're still thinking maybe she'll leave him. She'll realize this she's never played this role before so right. it's not as glamorous as it you know a lot of people think it was this romeo juliet bonnie Clyde, whatever they got going it ain't real it's slumming in the hotels it's slumming in the campgrounds Wh- whatever this life you know we're hoping she's seeing this and decides to turn herself in mm-hmm. and scotty talks about the the media um at this point it's it's starting to go viral in social media out there and in talking to our headquarters, we want the story out there. We want to try and generate tips. That's kind of a double-edged sword 
when you look at it. You you want the assistance of the public, but it also gives you t- a ton of extra work that you got to follow up on to ensure that you're turning over every rock, um, right. lifting every leaf. Um, so it's it's a it's a good and a bad. And we want the public to help in these cases, uh, but it also gives you quite a bit more work, especially on a case like this that's that we were getting tips from all over the world, I think, at this point on, on some of the information we got. Wow. So on the day of the escape, Vicki White takes her patrol car and parks it at the Academy Sports in Florence, Alabama. Correct. And you know that her personal car, the Pontiac G6, is parked at her mom's house. Correct. And that tells you, well, then there must be the existence of another car, a getaway car. Yeah, we knew there was a getaway car. And from an interview we did the previous night with an employee that worked with Vicki White, mm-hmm. a couple of days earlier, there was a bogus story Vicki White gave her as to why she needed a ride from the Academy Sports in Florence to the Foodland Grocery Store in Rogersville, Alabama, which is about 30 minutes away. Right. So we knew that Foodland... We tried to get video of the Academy to identify this vehicle, the getaway uh-huh. car, with no success. So we knew on this day we needed to get video from the food land. It was going to be key. There was most likely a getaway car that was staged there at some point. We didn't know when, other than we needed to go to the date when the employee gave Vicki White a ride to that food land grocery store right. in Rogersville. Right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So... We work our way back from the video when the employee dropped Vicki White off and she gets into the Pontiac G6. We're rewinding the video footage and we notice prior to the employee getting there before Vicki even mm-hmm. made the phone call, right. Vicki White parks, comes in that parking lot at the Foodland in Rogersville, pulls her Pontiac G6 up next to a, what we believe is an orange Ford Edge. Uh-huh. Vicki White gets out of the Pontiac G6. She gets into the orange Ford Edge, gets in the vehicle, and she drives towards, headed back towards Florence, Alabama. Okay. So we're working our way backwards. So we know this orange Ford Edge is most likely going to be our getaway car. I got it. So we continue to work our way back through the video Vicky had actually staged this vehicle a day or two before the stage in the vehicle at the Academy Sports. She right. initially staged this vehicle at the Foodland in Rogersville, Alabama. Uh-huh. So don't know why she chose to stage everything at Academy, but you can see some planning's gone into this. She didn't initially put it in the Academy parking spot. She started at the Foodland a few days earlier. So we learned all that on Saturday morning. I know which is day day two day two right uh, this is day two and we're really I know you know the media starting to ramp up and we're releasing things at the media at this moment we're trying to keep this vehicle to ourselves right. and the main reason for that, like he said, media is a double-edged sword. We know Casey from everything we looked at Casey's street smart. He may not be a rocket scientist or anything, but he knows the street. He knows the prison system. He knows how we work, as well as Vicky does. 
So as soon as they find out we know about that vehicle, we have the feeling that they're going to get rid of it and move on. It's going to make them desperate, right. and it may generate some violent act that we don't want mm-hmm. at that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also on the flip side of that, we want our law enforcement partners to know about that because we don't want a patrol officer to just stumble upon this vehicle, right. especially knowing that they the likelihood that there's firearms involved and that this is an escape. You know, Casey's facing significant time in prison. We're trying to weigh the pros and cons of releasing this and trying to keep it to ourselves and and uh, and make good good decisions. You know, for the public and our law enforcement partners. Because right. at, at this point, we know they got several firearms now because we had the her duty weapon, we had the AR that we discussed earlier, and then. We also located a pawn transaction of a shotgun um, that Vicky had purchased in the in the months previous. So now we're, we know we're looking at at least three firearms. Actually, they, one of the other employees told us that day that Vicky had told him that she had purchased a forty five as well. We didn't find a record of that, but based off of what we're seeing, you know, it's all adding up. There's uh, they're going to have an arsenal with them. So and uh, body armor. Yep. And handcuffs. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. Yeah, this taser, is, taser. Yeah, this exactly. is just so the level of danger just keeps going up. This Pol- could be police radios, you know, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right. So continuing on day two, about the time we discovered the vehicle, we get phone records indicating that Vicky White's good girl phone is possibly in the Thompson Station, Tennessee area. We send a team up and Tennessee, they send a team out with us and we go out to see if we can locate this orange Ford Edge. On the side, we've got investigators checking with every dealership that we know of in the Lauderdale and Colbert County area, seeing if any of them had recently, within the past month, sold a Orange Ford Edge. So all these things are happening. We all, I'm one of the ones that goes up to Tennessee. The sheriff and chief deputy actually ride up to Tennessee with us mm-hmm. on that day. We kind of look in the area. We send people out. It's a real hilly terrain in Williamson County in Tennessee. We go out, and on one occasion, I think three or four of us all spotted the same orange vehicle. We were able to rule that vehicle out. Mm -hmm. It definitely was not the vehicle we were searching for. So we stayed up there all afternoon looking till about the time it got dark. Around this time, individual had called in nobody in the public knew about this vehicle we had not told a single soul Mm. Um, we were reviewing every camera we could in that area we could not see the orange ford edge when it was parked at the academy sports where she had staged the vehicle Mm -hmm. this individual called in and stated on the evening of august 28th he was actually in that lot looking for a vehicle to purchase while he was looking, he noticed the orange Ford Edge with no tag. He was very detailed in the way he was describing this vehicle. He said there was no tag, and on the lower left bumper, there was a crack, like a damage in it. Mm-hmm. And then in the place where a sensor would go on a rear a, a vehicle backing up, one of those right. rear sensors, he said on the left side below that damage was a hole in that area. It looked like a bullet hole. He said he walked around because he was really interested in purchasing the vehicle, and he looked in the front, and there was no uh, phone number listed. There was nothing on the vehicle, and something very odd for that lot, he said it was packed full. There was clothes, bags. The vehicle was packed up. Right. And so that, um, you know, we were the only ones that known that at the time about the Ford Edge, so... uh, 
we know we got to find this Ford Edge, find where they purchased it, and we're doing the best we can. Yeah, and for moment. me, I mean, that's you know we've already got a ton of hours into this case, right? right? And now we finally got something concrete. Like we're working on stuff. That's, that's a, good. That's a credible, oh, credible tip. Yeah, and we, and we we've gathered a lot of good information at this point. A lot of stuff mm-hmm. that we can use to start building this timeline, build a pattern of life stuff. Right. You know, stuff along those lines, but having this vehicle and having it independently corroborated by somebody that no way would know that we were looking for this vehicle Mm -hmm. come in and verify that this is legitimate for us. I mean, there was, there was a a pretty good level of excitement amongst our circle that this was, this was going to lead somewhere good for us. Everybody feels real confident on identifying vehicles from photos, but you always have that question. We had the questions, is this a Dodge blank? Is this a Chevy blank? You don't really know till this guy, I looked at the vehicle, it was a Ford Edge. Right. Um, you know, that it, it felt good for us to know. So we're asking these dealerships the right questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we did ask them, hey, did you sell any orange vehicles? You know, we weren't showing anybody photos or anything. They didn't know what we were in, uh, actually looking for on all of that on that day so we were doing our best to kind of keep that close to the vest so to speak you know we knew we were looking for a cash purchase um Mm -hmm. because there was just nothing indicating that she used her traditional bank and you know paid with a check or this that the other just nothing nothing stood out so yeah those cash transactions you skip a lot of those tracking means if you will one more thing that I uh, really want to mention on that day that occurred, uh, we're starting to get information back from Department of Corrections and things like pre-sentence reports, those kind of things. And one of the things that stood out, and Limestone County also informed us of this, when he attempted to kick, kill his ex-girlfriend and her sister, he always said when he gets out, he was going to go buy an AR-15 and he was going to go finish the job. So... Those two sisters we learned uh, are out of the area, which was thankful. We were thankful for one of them was in Arizona, one of them was in Colorado. So we made it a point to contact them on that day. Our concern was, hey, is there any way that Casey White possibly knows where you live, where you reside? Mm-hmm. I don't think he's coming there, but you need to be aware. Right. Uh, he doesn't need to know your address. You know, those type of information. Be careful with your social media. All those type of things we're talking to him about. And, you know, we're, we're contacting the local law enforcement in those areas saying, hey, can you do extra patrols in this area? Mm-hmm. Um, we advised them if they had the means to go stay somewhere, but there was no way. Because with Vicki Watt's background in law enforcement, we didn't know if she may have conducted research to try to discover. We didn't think that was way out there, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's a theory. We, we can talk about theory and facts. But we wanted to make sure they were safe as well. Right. So we made contact that day. Knowing that about where they lived, we we took a keen interest in any tips that came out of that area also. Right. So we had to make sure we followed those up extremely thoroughly. Day two comes to a conclusion. May 1st, 2022, day three of the 11-day manhunt for Casey and Vicki White. So we come in that morning, and we had received uh, the information from the Alabama Department of Corrections related to the phone calls they were monitoring. There was several things of of note in there. Uh, One of the things was that uh, Casey had confided to his family that he had uh, attempted to kill himself while in prison, he believed that uh, there were people in prison attempting to kill him, which 
We later learned he was stabbed. He did have gang affiliation, right? Yes. He the the two that we tied him to was the Southern Brotherhood and Aryan Brotherhood, right? Yeah, correct. So, which is odd. You can't be in one and be in the other. So, uh, he also had friends, so to speak, or associates in prison that were the gangster disciples. So he had all these different relationships. It, mm. it, it, it you know, he had the tattoos for the. Uh, Southern Brotherhood and then the uh, Aryan Brotherhood. So the way it sounded, he couldn't get along with anybody in prison anyway. So he's got all these enemies he's made since being in uh, the correctional facility in Donaldson. So out of the blue, he confesses to a murder. Yeah. So in 2015 in Rogersville, Alabama, there was a murder of Connie Ridgeway in her residence. The DA described it as a brutal murder. Casey White, he's wanting to get out of Donaldson. He knows, he, he confesses to the crime, and he knows by confessing to this crime, this is going to get him out of Donaldson, back to the Lauderdale County area, and go into the jail. At this moment, Casey and Vicki White, they were not communicating, they didn't know each other, they were not in any type of relationship at this point. Mm-hmm. But you now know his history, and the involvement in this brutal murder. I mean, there is nothing that points to this guy other than there's going to be violence when you catch up with him. Certainly. Casey, he's got the 2008 incident. He's got now got a 2015 incident of the murder, and he's got the 2016, a couple of attempted murder, killing the dog, a carjacking. Yeah. All these things are adding up that, that he is going to be trouble. Right. And this is why it was such an intense nationwide manhunt. He has moved out uh, on November 4th, 2020, the reason he was moved out, this was key to us. He left Lauderdale County. Yes, he left Lauderdale County and was sent back to Donaldson for the reason there was an accusation that he was attempting to escape. The way he was going to escape was he was going to take two shanks or get a shank and take Vicki Watt hostage, and they were going to go out to jail together. That's the first indication where Vicky Watts spoken of. Mm-hmm. That was the plan. So the DA had him sent back to Donaldson prison at that moment. So that was very key. Um, and then shortly after he arrives in Donaldson, that's where the phone calls between Vicky and Casey Watts start. So there's no phone calls prior to August when he moves in. However, they start a few days after he gets there. Now, the phone's listed under one of his other family members with their addresses because when you receive calls through the inmate, you've got to document who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Of course, the investigators listening to the phone calls realized really quick this was not a family member. It was a romantic relationship. There was sexual conversations, things they wanted to do to each other, those type of things. And they sent us a sample of that phone call between mm-hmm. that time he doesn't come back to Lauderdale till March 25th of 2021. Right. So the phone calls go all the way through then when he goes back. She must not be concerned that she's having sex talk and that anyone's going to recognize her voice. She don't think voice. they're going to recognize her voice. She uh-huh. doesn't, she's listed under a family name of his with right. a, a good address of his. So we got a sample of that phone call. We played it for the investigators as well as people that worked with her. And all of them said 100% that is... Uh, Vicky White, mm-hmm. that, that's her on these phone conversations. Right, right. There's a total with that phone of 89 phone calls between 
Vicki and Casey Watt that we can hear. And Vicki's in Lauderdale County. She's in Lauderdale County doing her job. Right. This is a phone nobody knows she has. It's obviously a burner phone. Right. So she don't want, she's still concealing her identity, that type of stuff. He's not. So there's clearly a relationship if there's 89 calls. So that's where all this came from. Mm -hmm. I, I believe the media, when we were talking about this, we established a relationship then based on the uh, phone conversations. Mm -hmm. So that's where their relationship, we could first see it. Right. Um, We obviously thought it occurred while he was in jail in Lauderdale County. There was never any type of visits between Vicki and Casey. She was covering her tracks that way. Mm -hmm. So when he moves back, Lauderdale County, you know, the phone call stopped. Because Vicki White is located in Lauderdale County. So now they're seeing each other. Correct. So on August 3rd 2021 he has moved back uh out of lauderdale county and he's moved back to donaldson prison uh he remains there until february 24 2022 during that time a new number emerges with another family member's name and Mm -hmm. a different family member's address listening doc listened a sample of those calls on this number uh, it's obviously same thing, romantic relationship, different burner phone. Um, they listened to a sample of that with the employees that worked with her for all those years, and they all said, yeah, 100%, that's Vicki White. Mm-hmm. From August 3rd, 2021 to February 24, 2022, there was a total of 963 calls between Casey and Vicki White on that burner phone. Now, 963 calls would definitely confirm a relationship. But what astounds me more is the fact that you can go to jail and make 963 calls. As long as you got money, I imagine you can make as many phone calls as you want. And it's our understanding that Department of Corrections allows you to have an iPad now. So you can email, text message, whatever you need to do, as long as you have money on your books. And you can spend hours on the phone. Yeah, that, most phone calls that I know from the jail system are limited to 15 minutes, but after that 15 minutes, you can hang up and call again and talk for another 15 minutes. We have a, we have a very <laughs> clear picture of what's going on between those two individuals now right. at, at right. this point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, our, our, our mindset's changed. Our investigative mindset's changed a little bit, and we know that these are operating, you know, in tandem with one another. Mm-hmm. And based upon that information that they had, we took some of that stuff and worked it backwards to a lot of purchases for other uh, cell phones using cash. And uh, there was at least seven instances where she went to different locations during that time frame, all with the, the same uh, Dollar General brand, but there were seven different Dollar General locations where she bought uh, communication devices or, or prepaid cards or whatever to communicate with him. So she never went to the same place twice mm-hmm. you know and i'm looking at that i think that speaks to her organizational skills very meticulous over a, again a long drawn out time frame different stores different times wow. you know, yeah. different purchases mixing in uh, you know normal items that you would buy with you know items that you wouldn't normally buy that you would probably use to conceal some of your activities that you don't want other people to know about so you know in a way it was it was pretty impressive the links that she took to kind of conceal what she was doing and, this, and, the, and it worked for a little bit and it did work yeah. for a little bit yeah mm-hmm. this whole time we're trying to piece all of those individual things together whether they're purchases or the, the interviews trying to stitch all that together uh to uh paint a bigger picture later on that we can kind of uh, look at and evaluate so over time different teams are in the field while all this is going on as well 
doing surveillance, interviews, uh, running down transactions, d different things that, that they're out in the field gathering and we're trying to bring back to a central location and analyze with all of us. Mm -hmm. Every investigative technique that we know how to employ or we're using, you know, to get more information, the better, obviously. And, and, and then trying to get that information and decipher it. And, and right. what can we what can we gain out of this that's going to be useful for us, you know, currently and in the future? Right. She's planned this so meticulously, as you all have said, but it always goes back for me to where are you going to disappear with a guy who's 6'9", 330? I don't care how well you've planned it. Where do you go? You can plan only so well. We've seen people, you, you know, that we've had, you know, various houses under surveillance, not, not with this case, but uh -huh. we've seen people crawl in the back seats and lay down in the back seats, throw blankets over them to try to conceal their identity. You're not doing that in 6'9". Right. You know, that's a little bit harder to I, do. So, yeah, I had you know, a, we were curious about that ourselves. When these guys were talking about doing surveillance and seeing the same orange car, it's kind of the same when that goes out in the media. Um, once you identify something, that's all you see. So if you're on the surveillance looking for an orange car, all you see is an orange car. Right. If we put out in the media that she's short, he's tall, every short and tall couple across the United States <laughs> gets called in mm -hmm. a tip that somebody was at a Walmart in Albuquerque, uh, ran into a shorter blonde female and a taller tattooed male. Once that becomes highlighted, that's what everybody looks for. Well, right. you got to pay attention to it. Yeah. They, they have a significant amount of cash on hand. So right. could they be way out west? Could be. Right. You know, and, and that's something that we had to take seriously and try to vet out as best as possible, um, use our resources wisely and, and so on and so forth to try to make sure that we weren't missing something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we had all these different – you got theories out there that you – use as an investigator and then you try to see what facts you can use to back these up most of us all of us i think across the marshal service have all worked escapes what normally happens they go somewhere they bed down till the heat's off of them then they get up and move so it this is a theory i can't say this is what happened it turned out i believe to be true but we all thought they were going to be bedded down somewhere and they're not moving they're laying very low so people aren't going to see a six foot nine guy. We're hoping they do. We hope they make this mistake, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. But the odds of that occurring, we didn't think um, they would just be out moving constantly. And I really think, even me, the shock value of how viral this had gone nationwide, I don't think you really expected. Of course, we all know Vicky White's what made this go viral. Casey's an average, everyday convict trying to escape, right? Granted, he's six nine. But Vicki White was why I think the public was really interested, why mm -hmm. she would risk her career, why would she go on the run with this guy. You know, Vicki White, to me, is what made this case go viral. Yeah. And they really didn't think that it would gain this much attention. Right. They think locally, maybe a blurb on the national media spotlight, but honestly, nobody I, – I didn't think it would go right. this viral. You do hear about those relationships, but it's usually not somebody who is so senior, who has so much time on the job. So continuing on that day, we start getting all these different tips coming in. So we're, we're doing an investigation. We're looking at her, all of her associates that we know of. Problem is, most of them have been talked to, but we're making out a list anyway just to touch base with everybody and anything we can associate with her. Mm -hmm. We learned that Vicki White was a very private person. She was not uh, the type that would go out and hang out with girlfriends, go hang with a group of guys, go to parties, those type of things. She was really family-oriented, uh, kept to herself. Her job was pretty much 
her social life was right. there, it seemed like. Right. Um, so we're learning kind of all these background information on Vicky. So tips are coming in all day on day three. Uh, we're out uh, Tennessee, Alabama. Uh, we're, we got people, investigators going everywhere. And as far as the, the tips that came in, we had one up in Iron City, Tennessee, we thought was good. A guy passed a couple parked on an orange vehicle on a road. You know, it turned out not to be them, but this, those are things you got to follow up. And to leave from Florence, Alabama to Iron City, Tennessee, takes a minute to get up there. Right. And we're identifying all these different areas through Casey's background, where he grew up, all this type of information. Limestone County called us and believed that he would come back. If he was by himself, he would come back to the area he's familiar with. He knew the woods out there where he grew up. Um, you know, so we had an interest in that area as well. So we're continuously following up tips. One of my favorite tips was uh, one of the investigators with Lauderdale County had received a call that a lady knew exactly where Casey and Vicky was. They wanted to talk to us right now. Unfortunately, he couldn't talk to him because he was in the middle of an interview. So he gave him my number. So I pick up the phone and I talked to this lady and it turned out she was a psychic. Ah. She stated that Vicky was hanging upside down in a campground up in the Smokies and Casey was about to kill her at that moment. So I quickly gave my phone and told her, said, hang on a minute. I need you to talk to the lead investigator. And I handled it to my buddy so he could take that tip. That was the first time the lead investigator changed roles at that <laughs> point in time right there. Uh-huh. Well, I've heard other instances where the tip line is filled with psychics. Yes, you, that was not the only one I spoke with. I spoke uh-huh. with multiple. Um, they were. It was very insightful. There I was, learned a lot. This is not the first case I've had to deal with. There them, was a, a psychic in this case who also said that they were on a high-speed jet boat at that moment going to Cuba, Cuba. Uh, leaving off the Florida coast. Oh. That one came in as well. We didn't reach out to the Coast Guard, no. uh, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if they would have uh, allocated their resources yeah. to that right. based on that tip. So information is being gathered, but there are no breakthroughs yet. And that concludes day three. We move on to May 2nd, 2022, day four, which is a Monday of the 11-day manhunt. So day four of the manhunt, we took a look at all the places that um, Vicky was calling, uh, potentially with that, what uh, Scotty called the bad girl phone. Because we figured anything that she was doing to plan this all probably would have been with that particular um, particular phone. Uh-huh. So when we went down through some of the uh, call records, we started doing some research on some of the phone numbers, and we came up across a uh, contact for an auto sales um, that was called during that during that time frame. I think Scotty and I were were both doing our kind of independent analysis of of that those telephone numbers that were were called. And we reached out to each other that, that morning and kind of corroborated, hey, did you see this? Did you see this? We had that conversation that morning. We were able to use the phone records off that bad girl phone. We had one dealership on there, went to them first, went to the second dealership. To describe this dealership, it's really a house with vehicles out there. That's where we discovered the purchase Vicky made of the Orange Ford Edge. They were super helpful. Uh, They described her the same as what we talked about earlier. And then when she filled out the paperwork 
for the orange edge we we got a new alias for vicky white she used the alias of renee marie maxwell and gave us an address over in the muscle shoals area we checked through databases and we realized this this alias that she provided was the address was very close to what she put down on the paperwork but it wasn't a hundred percent accurate so we actually found the real renee marie maxwell and at that point we we didn't know the connection we didn't know how she knew this lady and we set up surveillance on that residence but the significance of talking to these folks was we got the photographs from when they made the sale when they made the sale it matched up to the description given by the guy calling in the tip at academy the the damage to the left rear bumper all that so now we got actual uh photos of the actual vehicle that Mm -hmm. we believe they fled in Mm -hmm. so we're putting all that together in a package and everything and running down the tips later on that evening we made contact with the actual renee marie maxwell her name's a little bit different but as soon as we walked up she knew exactly said oh i know why you are here my stepson's in jail and so we're like, oh, is he? he said, yeah, he, he knows Casey White. So we're like, oh, really? So sh- she had no knowledge uh, of Vicky, no association or anything. Mm-hmm. That led us to believe Vicky had accessed some data to get these aliases that she's using. Mm-hmm. Sensitive law enforcement databases. Yes, sir. And under the uh, what our belief would be potentially to create identities, a synthetic identity, or use something to stay off the radar using mm-hmm. that information. Right. Uh, and, and, and also to, to make those transactions to hide stuff that was legitimate, that could be checked, but would clear uh, you know, the, a test, like the vehicle purchase or something like that. So we also are interviewing different people in the jail, different inmates and all those type of things. And we're starting this, you know, the same stuff. They're going to shoot it out. What was new to us was one person informed us that Vicki Watt actually came to ask and inquire about fake identification. How do you get fake IDs, that type of information, which was very key. Uh, so we're she starting went, to- She went to an inmate in Lauderdale County and asked, how do I get fake IDs? Yes, that's what we were informed of. And we believe it. To be true, there was nothing to disprove it because we know she was looking for IDs uh, for the both of them when they started running. You know, I know something that came to mind, too. You know, none of these, none of this information that we're getting from the human source, right? So the inmates, you know, we're several days into this now. Nobody's coming forward with any of this information. We're having to seek these individuals out. So Mm -hmm. I think that speaks to, you know, Vicky's personality, um, how she could relate to, you know, people of varying backgrounds, um, you know, just, you know, how she relates to people, how she can communicate with people. Um, I, I think super interesting and even maybe creates a little bit more question of how she even got to this path to begin with. Right. So it just, you know, just an interesting point, you know, that we, we mm-hmm. had to seek these people out. A lot of times these people will you know, voluntarily come forward with this information, especially if they think it's going to benefit them in some way. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And every, cause everybody at the jail knows what's going on now. I mean, it seemed to be the common theme that w- whether it was like her coworkers or, her management or the inmates, everybody liked her. So the inmates, in, in our mind, the inmates liked her so they weren't really, you know, compelled to help us out. And then in the 
in Lauderdale County's case, everybody liked her and they couldn't believe she could do something right, like this. So, right. you know, yeah. And that concludes day four. We're on to Tuesday, day five of an 11 day manhunt. And that takes us to May 3rd. And she's been warming up in the bullpen, if you will. The chief of the behavioral analysis unit, Doc, comes into play on day number five. Because of Casey's history of mental illness, it made sense for me to review his available records. You know, anytime I, I look at medical records, there's a number of things I'm looking for from the perspective of um, investigative utility. So one of the things that happens a lot is that people are often misdiagnosed in prison or, you know, there is the issue of secondary gain. So meaning people may malinger or pretend to have a mental illness mm. or just to get a diagnosis. Um, you know, if, if they have a pending trial and they're trying to uh, pursue a not guilty by reason of insanity defense or not competent to stand trial, there's all sorts of factors that would motivate somebody to potentially malinger. So in reviewing records, that's one thing I, I look for to see if there's evidence of that. If if the person, you know, saw the counselor or, or a mental health provider while they were in jail, any records or notes of that person being manipulative or, or possibly faking symptoms, I would look for that. Mm -hmm. um, and this all helps establish, you know, the legitimacy of a, of a diagnosis. Um, any kind of medication, uh, history of medication or current uh, prescription of medication, and of course, what kind of medication that helps, you know, lend some credence to it, to a diagnosis. And also if they're compliant with the medication, because they could have been prescribed something years ago and no longer be on it, or they could be prescribed it, but not compliant and not taking it. It has less than of an impact when they're released or when they escape, I should say, and they're on the run. If they're, you know, if they've been off meds and it's a lot different than if somebody, let's say, is on an antipsychotic up until the day that they escape and now they're off meds and could quickly decompensate. So from an investigative perspective, it would be important to establish, you know, is this individual taking an antipsychotic, let's say, and if so, were they compliant with it? And what does that mean if they are now on the run and not taking their medication? Um, what are the implications for their behavioral stability or, or instability, if you will? Mm -hmm. Did you look at Casey and Vicky? So I had very little information about um, about Vicky besides some medical records, um, but I had a lot more, of course, with Casey being that he was in jail as long as he had been. You know, there is extensive DOC records that went into his uh, mental health more specifically. Hadn't he used the insanity plea prior? So I, I believe he was either trying to um, use the an insanity defense or or competency not competent to stand trial mm -hmm. those are hard to come by the uh, right so it's pretty rare yep so it's you know to be not guilty by reason of insanity you have to establish that due to mental mental illness that you did not know right from wrong at the time of the offense um so that it's an issue of criminal responsibility that you, you can't be responsible for something if you don't know right from wrong so it's a pretty high threshold for somebody to to get that defense and mm -hmm. then whether or not somebody's competent to stand trial that's specific to uh obviously the their mental state at at the time of trial and they have to be able to you know assist with their own defense um and if they're not competent um and they can't assist their counsel that you know then they can't go forward with the 
with the trial until they're deemed to be competent. So there's just two different legal defense strategies where you're always going to want to rule out that the defendant is is malingering or, or faking a mental health diagnosis um, for secondary gain. You now get the records and you you begin to review them. Right. So I, I start to look for the things that, that I just outlined. One of the things that always stands out is if you see a lot of psychiatric diagnoses in anybody's record where they all have the uh, the qualifier per history or by history, that simply means that the person reported to the mental health provider that they had a, a diagnosis um, by history. And that's very different than a, a provider doing a thorough diagnostic assessment or diagnostic interview or a full psych evaluation in jails. They do a initial mental health screen when somebody arrives at jail to determine if, you know, there's a suicide risk or risk to themselves, risk to somebody else in the prison, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're not, if it's just a jail intake, they're not there for a full, uh, you know, a full psych eval. So um, I always take those diagnoses with a grain of salt um, when they're provided in that, that context or if they have those uh, qualifiers with them. Right. And people are used to gaming the system, I guess. Right. When they get that initial evaluation. All right. So you are going to analyze these documents and then get back into it with your conclusions. Right. So that's one of the things that we, you know, we do is, is try to understand these individuals and then provide our recommendations, investigative strategies. Well, no, in day five, you know, that's when we started really looking at Vicky's history and using these law enforcement sensitive databases, who she had accessed or what files she had accessed um, to try to establish additional aliases that we mm-hmm. didn't already know, right. confirm what we already did know. We also learned that day of her coming in on her, on her off days. Right. So it and, even, and it just even, let me let me interrupt. Uh, how often does someone in law enforcement come in on an off day? Never. <laughs> Not willingly. No. Yeah. So I, that's, I'm sorry. I would jump in there. So, that's suspicious yeah. behavior then yeah. if somebody's yeah. coming in on their Ever, off day. It's going to raise a red flag. Yeah. So <laughs> she did come in that Sunday before, and she had accessed the system. And, you know, she had actually researched the uh, – the, the Renee Maxwell's relative, that was significant to us. There was multiple people she researched. So now we're looking into all that. She also accessed the inmate property. So we're looking at that. Did she carry anything? Well, you know, identification cards, those type of things. Now we're starting to talk of audits and things with the jail. Um, that's going to be a very tedious project, and it would probably we would probably still be working on that to this. What day. does that mean an audit with the jail? So you have to go through each inmate that's ever been in that facility that still has property there, and go line by line. It could be cell phones, it could be a IDs. jacket, IDs, clothing. The IDs was the hardest part because there was after a certain amount of period of time. If they didn't come claim their identification card, they would just throw them in a random box that wasn't accounted for. So that's what we were concerned with as well. So even if we do the audit, we still may not capture the ID. But we're talking about it developing a plan. But the audit is you've got to check every piece of inventory against what they have to make sure that they still have it. Correct. Because if it's missing, then that's a... used to go on the run. And you're talking about 300 inmates at any given time, but then the inmates that had just left, you know, you're going back. This is a daunting task. Yes. She she had access to it. Yeah. And so it couldn't go... 
we can Unchecked, discard it. Right. Um, right. You know, at this point in time, we're, we're getting good information. We have some solid stuff that we can follow up on, but, you know, it could be checking into hotels with an alias. And so how right. would we verify that? Right. You know, if, if, um, if Casey's not spotted given his stature and if she, you know, is changed her appearance whatsoever, you know, we would have to have something to verify off of some hotel registry or some other means to kind of verify where they were um, okay. to, to help us into in locating them. So, yeah, it was – it was definitely part of the thought process, the investigative process. And you try to do the things you can do quickly. <clears throat> so all the names she had ran, we're trying to identify what those people look like, obviously. Do they look like Casey? Does, does a, If she ran a woman's name, does that woman look like Vicky? So mm-hmm. we're trying to narrow it, do some deductive reasoning on all mm-hmm. that stuff to mm-hmm. quickly rule out some of the stuff off the bat mm-hmm. you know, as that goes. Well, and Vicky was still doing her job, too. So you know, you had to kind of decipher what's legitimate work business and what's not legitimate work business. And so it's just another layer of, of, you know, of tasks to go through to try to put this into some type of make some type of sense for you as an investigator, because you have dozens and dozens of people that are waiting on you to, to give them direction on what to do multiple States. Right. You know, what, what should we be doing? Where are we going? You know, we're giving updates to, you know, headquarters and, and others. And, you know, the sheriff's office looking at us and, and other entities are looking at us. So yeah, so you're trying to decipher this information and, and get it out as fast as possible um, mm-hmm. where it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And the good news about having this case, this big, Normally, this would just be our team doing this information. But with this much attention, we had a lot of people willing to help from headquarters. So they ran every one of these identities, and we didn't get a hit on any of them. So it was it made our job a lot easier as right. investigators. Mm-hmm. So continuing on day five, something of significance that happened that day, we got a tip in through the tip line that Casey and Vicky had just rented a vehicle from an airport in Colorado if you recall, this is where the sister of the person that was attempted during the attempted murder case back in 2015, it was the same town she lived in. So we immediately got law enforcement in the area where the sister was, and we deployed marshals out in that area to go check the tip. Luckily, it turned out to be a false alarm, but we were prepared to handle it. If, should right. it have been then we had to check that tip. Out. If he actually was going to make good on his promise. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. That'll conclude day five, and that's where we're going to have to leave it for this episode. Scotty, Ross, John, Doc, thanks very much for telling your story and taking us inside this manhunt. There is so much more to go. Six days, actually. Finally, please help us let everybody know about what we're doing. Subscribe, leave a review, or do all of the above. Chasing Evil is produced with the cooperation of the United States Marshals Service and contains interviews with current and retired employees as well as other persons. Opinions, positions, and views expressed by any of them may not reflect the official views, positions, or policies of the United States Marshals Service. Be safe, everyone. (laughs) 